Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, we're covering everything from sports to healthcare policy. And first up, sports and business news this week on 321GO. Then, October is Manufacturing Month, and we have an interview with AIS, a local mass-made manufacturing company. And in Two Minutes with Tom, we discuss an important ballot initiative facing Massachusetts next month. Question three, the gender identity anti-discrimination veto referendum. But first up, three, two, one, go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321GO on OA On Air, where each week we take a brief but purposeful look at three compelling topics in the world of public affairs, business, government, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321GO, the future of Boston's iconic Sitco sign is murky and community and civic leaders are having their say on this bright spot in the Kenmore Square skyline. We'll explain. And... Our own Kyan Isaacson joins Jeremy Crockford to talk with Mark Hudak of Care Partners, a Connecticut-based joint venture of Tufts Health Plan and Hartford Healthcare. Finally, if you were David Price, the Red Sox sometimes ace, how would you rebuild your reputation with Red Sox fans after a disastrous playoff performance? We'll discuss. Joining me here on 3 to one go is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on air. Cayenne, have you been at the edge of your seat with these Red Sox games? I'm not going to lie. I really haven't been following. Oh, God. I know. I'm sorry. Get on the stick. Get your game together. We're going to be talking about this stuff. Okay. I'm I'm ready. I can can talk. (laughs) You sound ready. All right. Let's get going. All right. So Boston Sitco sign. Uh... Cayenne, it, its its future is a little bit up in the air, uh, a little bit in peril. Um, not the existence of the sign itself, but the way Bostonians and Boston Red Sox fans and people in Kenmore Square and actually people around the country and the world, because it's very iconic, it's part of every broadcast, how they experience it because of some potential impacts to what are called view corridors. Um, Boston University uh, owned that piece of property for many years. They sold it a couple years ago to Related Beal, very prominent developer in the city of Boston. And uh, there is now a battle over whether it deserves landmark status. Seems kind of obvious, but uh, some people say no, particularly these new owners of the property. Um, They say they'll keep the sign standing regardless of what their plans are for that building. I believe it's 660 Beacon Street in Kenmore Square. But uh, people are concerned about the experience of, of, of enjoying that sign and if it gets affected. What do you think? It's such a weird topic because it's a sitco sign. It's a it, sign. It, for, for a gas station, essentially. Um, but I think it's emotional for people. It's, and it's not just is it every Red Sox game, every movie that's based in Boston – you know, Absolutely. those opening credits, you come in, it's a sitco sign, you know you know that it's Boston. The interesting thing is that it's a unique candidate for a landmark status because it is actually an advertisement for a company. Yeah. Um, but it has a lot of support. The Landmark Commission got a lot of support, 16,000 signatures. Honestly, I would say the sitco sign has to be, I guess I won't say globally, nationwide, 
it has to be the number in the, in the top five, if not the top three, of what is called Petroliana. I've learned this from watching American Pickers on the History Channel. <laughs> Petroliana is essentially any type of uh, iconic advertising material related to the oil industry, gas stations in particular. This is like the ultimate piece of Petroliana, and uh, the, the Boston Landmark, Landmark Commission has p- produced a 50-page report that says, absolutely, this needs landmark status. There's like 16,000 signatures that say, yeah, it does, um, but there's still legitimate opposition from the owners of the property itself. It's their, it's their property. It's their sign. Their property. So Related Beale owns the building. Boston University still owns the land. Um, say the goes, Who owns the actual sign? The company. So yeah. quoting the, the BBJ here, and I think this was probably uh, an interesting point. The Sitco sign is not owned by the city of Boston or even the United States, but instead by a country with enormous financial problems, <laughs> referencing the sign being a subsidiary of a Venezuelan oil company. So okay, it's so, really... So, so it's owned by the company that owns the Sitco brand. It is, but is yet we company. have emotionally taken ownership oh, of yeah, it as of a city. And it is the most bizarre thing, I think, for most outsiders. But if you go into a movie theater or you turn on a movie and you don't know where a movie is going to set place and they come in and they show the sitco sign, I think the vast majority of the country goes, oh, this, this movie is going to take place in Boston. Yeah. It, you know, for many, many years there was along Storrow Drive or Soldiers Field Road in Austin, Brighton, uh, a, a, a very iconic uh, red illuminated Coca-Cola sign because that's where a Coca-Cola bottling plant is. And, and you know, if you're driving along, not n- not nearly in the category of that Sitco sign, but still, it was a a placemaker. Uh, and every every you know, I drive by there every day now, and every once in a while, I'm like, yeah, I kind of miss that Coca-Cola sign. It's just it's something that people use to identify. And you're right, it's like you flash the Sitco sign, everyone in the country's like, that's Boston. Yes, it, it, it is. You know, I think it is even more so than the Hancock building, probably. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think we're a weird, quirky city like that, but we have decided to emotionally own the Sitco sign. We want to keep it. Um, decision has yet to be made. There's going to be another landmark commission meeting, and uh, the hearing was Tuesday, and they are still taking written statements. Uh, I think through the end of the week. All right, we'll be watching this one closely for sure. All right, Cayenne, yourself and uh, our colleague and associate Jeremy Crockford had a good conversation with Mark Hudak of Care Partners. Now, that's a new joint venture of Tufts Health Plan, a company we love working with. And is it Hartford Healthcare? Yes. yes. It's going to be a new uh, Medicare Advantage program in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mark does spend a little bit of time talking about what Medicare Advantage is and sort of explaining it, which to me is really helpful because for most people out there, I think. Um, healthcare and, and Medicare jargon and sort of the words don't really make sense. So it was great to catch up with him. I think it's an exciting program that they're launching in Connecticut. Um, and uh, for me, quite informative. Great. Yeah. Really important stuff. Really complicated. This will help. Hi, I'm here with Mark Hudak, president of Care Partners of Connecticut and our own Jeremy Crockford. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Good morning. Thanks for being here, Mark. So Pleasure to be here. There are some exciting things uh, happening in Connecticut. Do you want to talk a little bit about Care Partners and what it means for state of Connecticut, primarily uh, senior citizens, those over 65? 
Uh, I would love to. So uh, first off, really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. Um, I'm very privileged to introduce our new health plan, Care Partners of Connecticut. We are a new Medicare Advantage plan that is 100% focused on serving seniors in Connecticut. We are a joint venture between Tufts Health Plan and Hartford Healthcare, and we are establishing a very different approach to how we design the right types of products that seniors need. We have a different model of working with providers where our focus is to limit administrative burdens and to empower them to provide the best possible care for our customers. We are excited to be serving seniors. We start our open enrollment marketing period uh, where we have the opportunity to actually uh, introduce our products to you on October 15th. Before we get started, can you tell everyone out there in podcast land who might not know, what is Medicare? What is Medicare Advantage? And what does it mean? A lot of people I don't think are clear. I know that uh, I still struggle. It's a great question, and it is one that we consistently hear in conversations with consumers, with providers, and really across the board. So to start, seniors defined as 65 and above become eligible for Regional Medicare. Uh, Regional Medicare covers what they call a Part A benefit, which includes inpatient hospital stays, things like skilled nursing facilities. It covers Part B, which includes more of your outpatient benefit, primary care visits, specialist visits, and that's really where it stops. So it's, a, it's an initial starting point for benefits. Um, secondly, when you think about the financing, a key thing to keep in mind is Medicare Part A and Part B, it requires um, payment of premium, it requires deductibles, it requires co-insurance, and these costs really add up very quickly for seniors who are utilizing their health care. It's really the bare minimum, correct, for coverage? I think that's a great way to define <laughs> it. Now, you're, you're entering kind of a crowded market, and this is, you guys are essentially a startup in Connecticut now. People can sign up for your program right now over the, over the course of the next month, six weeks, what do you offer that's different for somebody who is over 65 and has decided that they're looking for an additional way to cover their health care costs? What, what do you have that's different? Sure. So a very important starting point is we started the development of our new company about three years ago. And today in the state, there are six Medicare Advantage health plans. So our focus coming into the market was we need to understand the unique needs of the customers and the providers in the state. So we spent a lot of time, thousands of different discussions with consumers, with providers, and with brokers. And we asked some very simple questions. We asked, tell us about your experience today with your Medicare Advantage plan. Do you have the right type of product that you're looking for? How is the service model? Are there things that you want that you just do not have today? So that was really the starting point for how we approach designing the right types of product and solution that we'll be bringing to the market uh, right now. Am I going to be able to see my, my current physician if, if I sign up with you guys during this open enrollment period? 
So uh, the way that our model is designed is we encourage all of our customers to establish a strong collaborative relationship with their primary care provider. That primary care provider is then going to be responsible for helping design a care plan where if you need to see a specific cardiologist, a nephrologist, whatever needs you may have, they're going to really help you understand, here is the cardiologist that I work with. I trust them. They share information with me. We are aligned in regards to the medicines that we prescribe, the tests that are needed, and really how we manage your holistic care. So that is a unique feature of our model. Uh, to your question about is your provider, your PCP in network, um, if you go to our website, carepartnersct.com, it has a comprehensive listing of all of our providers in network. And one of the things that's important to note, so as we are a new Medicare Advantage plan, we have so many providers that are interested in joining our plan and working with us in this way. Our network continues to grow by the day. Let me ask you a tough question. You have a market of 65 and older, people who generally tend to need more and more medical care as they age. You are covering dental, you are covering vision, you are covering hearing, you are covering wellness. How do you intend to make money? <laughs> That's a great question. So our focal point is not to make money as a business. We are not for profit. We are focused on improving healthcare in the state of Connecticut for seniors. So the way that we've designed our plans is we want to ensure that we are offering the right types of benefits that are affordable, that give people access to the medical, pharmacy, and supplemental benefit services that they need. Our model is focused on keeping people healthy, keeping them out of the hospital, and doing whatever we can to work with them and with their provider to really optimize that person's health. I would, I would have to ask you, if I'm on a fixed income, I would find very attractive the idea of getting pharmacy, dental, and vision covered. How much does this cost? What I would recommend is if you go to our website, carepartnerct.com, all of our information about our plan designs, how they work, and what is included are there. It's very clear and easy to navigate. Uh, what I would share though is we do have a comprehensive array of products. We have talked to customers who are on a very tight budget. Uh, we have also talked with customer segments who are saying things like we're willing to spend more out of pocket in a monthly premium for richer benefits. So we have designed three targeted products that meet the needs of what we feel are the broad needs across the state of Connecticut for consumers. So there's a menu of costs that I can find on your website? Yes. Great. And something for everybody? Yes. Thank you very much for coming in. This sounds fantastic. Good luck, and uh, we will see you at open enrollment. Thank you. To hear more from Mark, tune into OA On Air Extra on our website, O'NeillAndAssos.com and SoundCloud. All right, David Price, the uh, like I said, the sometimes uh, sometimes ace of the Red Sox uh, or number two ace of the Re of the Boston Red Sox uh, pitching staff, disastrous outing uh, in the Yankee series, disastrous, um, and, and now he's slated to pitch game two in the ALCS. I want to just say this first of all. I'm at, I am rooting for this guy. I am rooting for David Price. I, I like redemption. I like comebacks. Uh, it also helps the team. I wouldn't call it, it helps the team. I wouldn't call him an underdog, but I, I like that. But I'm rooting for the guy because I, I feel like this really is in his head in terms of 
not being able to pitch in the playoffs in the postseason. That's thing number one. Number two, everyone is all, all, always all over the guy. He had a really good season, actually, for the Red Sox this year. Um, but everyone is down on him. Everyone is expecting him to fail. So I'm rooting for the guy. But the topic here on the table is how does he – well, we know that winning is, is step one, right? Win the game, pitch well. But how do you rebuild your reputation with fans and, and, you know, and, and people around the Red Sox and, the, and to the extent you even care about the media? Number one, is he even interested in that? And, and he may not be, Cayenne, and also Brooke, who sort of follows this pretty, has followed this pretty closely. Um, uh, Brooke, our highly talented producer, um, he may not be interested in that, but I think some, some pretty simple-to-do things he could accomplish and, and, and sort of get into the good graces with the fans and the, and, and, and the, the, the media. I don't say get back into because I don't think he's ever been in the good graces of, uh, of Red Sox Nation. Kyan, what do you think? There are many years I have followed the Red Sox really closely. This year is not one of them. However, I've heard his name quite frequently, uh, usually not with the best connotation next to it. Here's the thing with, that's unfortunate is if you are beloved by Boston fans, that's amazing. Why wouldn't you want to be beloved by fans here? Like when we like you, it's a great place to be. Um, conversely, when we don't, it may not be a great place to be. But I don't think he cares. And that's his prerogative. Yeah. Um, you know, I went back and I was reading some articles of things where he's quoted, and he refers to saying that he can, quote, tune out the noise um, if that's his MO and that, you know, he can still go out there and play. But I just – don't you want to be liked? Well, he, no, <laughs> Isn't it better? He, he, might, he might not want to be – um, he may want to do the things that, that enable him to pitch well, and maybe that's not one of them. Um, but I, I, I think of the things outside of, of, of baseball, or outs, at least outside of the field in the clubhouse. Um, let's talk about Fortnite for a second, because that was a big controversy for him this year. He is a, a, a you know major Fortnite enthusiast. Guess what? So is almost the entire Boston Red Sox the single winningest Red Sox team in history so far. Number two, so is much of Major League Baseball and, and, and much of the American professional sports universe, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's one of those things. It's a national sensation that, is pull, that, that literally has brought together children, teenagers, adults, superstars, celebrities. They're my, all five year old, my five-year-old just started flossing. A exactly. All these, all these things. Okay, so you take a hit because... For whatever reason, Alex Cora, the manager in that week, kind of leaves you hanging out there that says maybe, that, that indicates maybe your injury has something to do with playing Fortnite, and this guy took a beating because of that. You want to turn that around? How about the David Price, you know, ch uh, charity Fortnite tournament? Or, or, or convene a tournament geared toward kids who, 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 who and, and have this tournament and make it a great experience for them and, and, and be visible and be part of it and give the, win the, the, the winner of season tickets or whatever it might be, an easy way to turn that in your favor. The um, problem with interested. that is that if he is, even if he is interested, if he is still going to be sort of aloof and not friendly and not engaging, then it doesn't actually help. You can't just do something for the sake of doing it for reputation management. We have this conversation all the time with people in this building of you got to do the right thing. You've got to mean it. 
and then it will sort of fix itself. Yeah. For him to just put on an event, if he then treats everybody there the same way he treats a lot of people when he does interviews, yeah. not going to help. Here's I, I want I want to get Brooks' perspective on this, but here's something that I think. Here's how I think this uh, a, a hypothetical situation could be handled, and here's how I think he would handle it. So, say somehow he wins he wins game two or, or has a great performance that leads that helps support a win. What he ought to say afterwards is, uh, you know, you know, some version of finally got that playoff win. It's great to contribute. Uh, I feel like it's a monkey off my back. I feel like it's it's a new beginning for me in my career, and I'm really excited, and I appreciate the people and the fans being behind me. Perfect, right? He'll probably do the, you know, I've been disrespected thing. Yes. He'll probably do the, see. A little bit of a pity party. I won this game, and, you know, if people didn't believe in me. That's because that's not just him. That's generally what professional athletes do when they achieve a moment that they needed to achieve in order to maintain respectability. Brooke, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, as a, as a diehard Red Sox fan, I think that David Price kind of had two problems, right? One was his attitude, and the other was that um, he hasn't been – the sort of unbelievable, unhittable pitcher that he was billed as originally. And I think the Red Sox fans have been burned before, you know, by, you know, Pablo Sandoval, Hanley Ramirez, these people that we pay exorbitant amounts of money for that then just sort of fall flat. And I think that one of the reasons he's had such a problem with the, the Red Sox fandom is they are sort of worried that he's one of those duds that we just, you know, paid and like an outrageous amount of money for. So I think really the best thing that he can do in order to maintain his reputation and get back at, or become in the good graces of Red Sox Nation is to have an unbelievable postseason this year. This, this I think, is imperative, not just because I'm going to his game on Sunday, but because yeah. uh, he really needs that. And I think if he can do that, the Red Sox fans love to have these sort of cult players that they rally around. You know, I think the most recent one would be Brock Holt, you know, the Brock star because of his hitting the cycle. But Red Sox fans just sort of irrationally love him, even if he doesn't play for two weeks. He's a, he's a, he's a crowd pleaser. And I think that Price can get there if he really just shocks everyone. I mean, he needs to, you know, be unhittable on Sunday. He needs to carry the team if they make it to the World Series. He needs to be a force maybe in the bullpen for one of these games. I think if he can really show that he's got the stuff and he can do it in the postseason for the Red Sox, that is going to really make the difference. And I agree, the attitude thing helps, but really, if, if he can put the numbers up, I think the Sox fans are going to rally around. We'll I, forgive if he's a winner. You know, I, I think you're totally right. And I think all the stuff we're talking about in terms of like the reputation is all predicated on He's got to perform better in the playoffs. No, oh, he, yeah, no. He had, a great, he had a really good season. I think that, yeah, you just laid out the blueprint too, Brooke. There's a blueprint for him in this series because there's plenty of opportunity left for him in this series after that one outing. He gives the Red Sox five strong innings Tuesday night, step one. Step two, I think even better because I remember seeing Pedro Martinez coming out of the bullpen in the playoffs. This is way back in 1999 before they won the World Series. And... The place goes insane. Like Chris Sale the other just, night. Yeah, think about Chris they Sale. They go insane when they see one of the stars come out of the bullpen. If Price comes out and just flame throws the side down, one, two, three, and they win the game, you know, in game five or six, or it, God, you know, or God help us in the World Series, that that goes a huge distance. So there's a, there's there's literally a blueprint for him on the field, and then if that goes well. Maybe some off-the-field changes in how, he, how his attitude is, but uh, no, it's I, fascinating. I, I agree. I mean, I think the Red Sox fans respond the best to being clutch in clutch situations. I think that's why David Ortiz is probably the most beloved Red Sox of all time, because when he needed to do something big, he delivered again and again and again. And I think that's one of the reasons Price hasn't, hasn't had that same sort of beloved, you know, 
atmosphere around him is because he, you know, chokes in key situations. So if he can change that, I think he's in a very good position. All right. If David Price was listening to our podcast, I'd want him to know that I'm rooting for him, and I, and I, and I want him to have a great series. Not just because I want the Red Sox to win, because I want him to be a winner. And I want... I want uh, and he's a great Brooke, pitcher. Because Brooke's going to be at the game. Yeah, so. I'm going to be there, so... And we're paying him $30 million. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Earn your awesome. paycheck. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. Cayenne, this has been fun. A pleasure as always. Always. All right, Brooke, terrific insights on the Red Sox. And uh, great job doing what you do. Hey, thanks. It's fun to be here. All Have right. fun on Sunday. Oh, I will. Enjoy that game. 321 Go is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in the heart of Government Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. That's all for 321 Go. Up next, an interview with Bruce Platzman, president and CEO of AIS in Lemonstar. Hi, it's Cosmo Macero and Cayenne Isaacson from OA On Air. We're here with Bruce Platzman, the founder and CEO of Affordable Interior Systems. That's AIS based in Lemonstar. Bruce, it's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. You know, we're marking Manufacturing Month, the month of October 2018. Um, uh, AAS is a cornerstone of the Massachusetts economy and a manufacturing company. Um, can you tell us, Bruce, about the company, about AAS, and, and, and how it came together approximately 30 years ago? Sure. We're a manufacturer of office furniture, and the products that we uh, manufacture in Lemonster, Massachusetts, range from systems furniture to desking and benching, which is very prevalent in today's office environments, all seating for an office area, laminate case goods, ergonomic accessories, uh, and tabling and, and metal storage. Uh, we started the company, uh, as you said, 30 years ago, and really it came out of necessity. The economy at that time was not very strong in, uh, nationally, but in particular, the Massachusetts economy was very weak in 1989 and 1990. And we saw an opportunity uh, to get involved. Uh, we were struggling to sell new furniture, and we wanted to get into a different avenue within our industry, and we decided to start remanufacturing furniture and selling used furniture as well. Now, Ultimately, um, so you seize that on the opportunity in that economy, which I remember very well, uh, in, in going into remanufacturing and reuse. Um, was that salvaged office furnishings? Was it surplus? Was it all of the above? Or? Well, unfortunately, fortunately for us and unfortunately for the economy, there were a lot of companies that were downsizing at that time. A lot of those in the high-tech area, we saw digital equipment, Wang Laboratories, Prime Computer, Data General, all downsizing and eventually all of those companies going out of business. And we had an opportunity to buy back, in many cases, for no cost at all, get their old furniture, bring that into our downtown Boston facility, and recondition the furniture and sell it to the corporate entities within Massachusetts for anywhere for, from 30 to 50% less than what new furniture would cost them. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's impressive. That's remarkable. Now, now, over time, the business model has shifted further or, or maybe shifted back to where you're now manufacturing all new office systems 
Was that uh, another movement of opportunity? Was that uh, sort of a, a, a milestone that transitioned you into into that into that business? We model? were we were growing as a remanufacturer. We became in a growing industry. We became the largest remanufacturer in the country. But all remanufacturers and used used providers were very regionalized, and we were as well in New England. And we had aspirations of going national, and we felt we couldn't do that uh, under the current platform that we had at that point. And so we brought a consultant in, and we decided together to get into new manufacturing. This was 1995-1996. And at that time, uh, because we didn't have any brand identity, we decided to become a clone manufacturer. And what cloning meant in our industry was that we were going to copy some other existing products that were out there. We had an opportunity and we decided to clone two products. One was from the largest company in our industry uh, at that time, Steelcase. Uh, they had a product called Movable Walls. In Herman Miller, they had a product called AO2 or Action Office 2. And there were three really good reasons we chose those products. First of all, Steelcase and Herman Miller were the two biggest companies in our industry with great reputations. We were able to kind of dovetail and piggyback off of their great reputations. Uh, the products that we were cloning at that time were represented about 90% market share. So again, we had name and brand recognition with those products. And probably the third and most important reason is we weren't going to get sued by Steelcase and Herman Miller because the patents had run out on those That is very products. important. Yes, it is. <laughs> we, we didn't have the th threshold for paying at that point. <laughs> so I th one of the things about AIS is it's, uh, and you said this from the beginning, you wanted to do it differently. You wanted to sort of start this company, and your vision was, um, you know, really unique and original. And that's still the case today, particularly around your commitment to the community and all of the work that you do. But it's really a cornerstone of sort of your mission and values. Can you talk a little bit about that and why that's so important, not only to you, but to your employees as right. well? Okay, that's a great question. So I think that, you know, every corporate entity not just in Massachusetts, but nationally and internationally, and every individual has an obligation to give back to society or to the community in particular. And so we have always thrived to be very involved in the community. And we try to make that commitment. It could be national, it could be state, but at the same time, we spend a lot of time within the inner cities uh, trying to make them better. And, and as a good example, within the city of Lemonster, I work very closely with the mayor out there, and we make sure that AIS participates in every endeavor that the city's involved in, uh, whether it's United Way, whether it's mentoring within the school, the elementary school system, English as a second language. I sit on the board of directors of uh, Make-A-Wish, and you know, again, I just think it's very important to be able to give back to, uh, to society today. And, and you made a real commitment to the city of Lemonster with with your facility and with really saying we're gonna we're gonna put down roots here, you know. We uh, we took a building that was empty for 20 years. Uh, it, the city was devastated by uh, everything moving over to China from the manufacturing standpoint and people struggling to make it in the Massachusetts economy and low tech manufacturing. We moved into that 600,000 square foot building about a year and a half, two years ago. And uh, I can tell you right now, we have filled it. We have 700 manufacturing jobs out there, and we're very proud of what we've been able to do. And uh, it's been great to see the city's unemployment rate go from 12% when we moved in to just over 4% right now. And for, I will say, having uh, visited the headquarters and walked the manufacturing floor, I would encourage anyone who has some time in Lemon Star, it's outstanding yeah. what, what happens would, back we there. We would uh, welcome any uh, buddy that wants to come tour the facility. Uh, obviously, if you want office furniture, that's great. But at the same time, we give tours 
all the time, and we're very proud of what we've been able to accomplish in a state that's really not known for low-tech manufacturing. Do you find that you can learn something about the culture and the personality of a company by the kind of interior, the kind of environment that they want for their work, for their employees? I think it's it's the business we're in yeah. uh, to create work environments that are not only aesthetically pleasing, but are very functional and uh, promote uh, creativity and efficiency within an office. But at the same time, uh, we wanted, as we made a commitment in the city of Lemonster, we wanted to look like somebody was walking into the lobby in, into a facility in downtown Boston uh, designed in a way that really helped us recruit and retain people. So when people come into our office, not only are they very impressed, but they go, wow, you know, this is not something that you typically find in Western Massachusetts. So we've created a, a great show place f for our potential customers and our customers, but more importantly, we've created a very comfortable and very efficient workspace for our employees. I'm glad you mentioned um, recruiting and retaining because I'm, I'm curious, um, what's your sense of or how do you feel about the quality of the Massachusetts workforce as it relates to AAS, as it relates to the needs you have as a company, um, and your ability to recruit the kind of talent you need. Okay, so most of our employees are manufacturing, and so at times it can be difficult because the state, again, uh, doesn't offer uh, an employee base, and we're competing with fast food restaurants, we're competing with uh, landscapers that are paying people under the table, even though it's for three to four months. But on the other hand, because the state doesn't offer a lot of low-tech manufacturing opportunities, people, young, uh, individuals that are getting into the workforce that want to pursue a career in manufacturing, AIS is a great place for them to land because it's not just low-skilled jobs. We're now uh, investing millions and millions of dollars in, uh, in equipment, in machinery, and some of this equipment is very sophisticated, and the skill sets needed to run those really give the opportunity for a lot of people that want to pursue a career in Massachusetts in manufacturing, I mean, to, to really uh, be successful. So we said at the outset that October is Manufacturing Month, um, and you mentioned that your headquarters, you've got over 700 manufacturing jobs and employees uh, working hard, a lot of whom are women, too, which uh, we should touch upon that. But with that in mind, you, you also spend, in addition to your community commitment, time educating students and really talking to students about their options and, you know, college isn't for everyone for whatever reason. Um, with Manufacturing Month in mind, what do you think we should be focusing on and recognizing most? Well, as far as, you know, that manufacturing in today's world, there is an opportunity because, as you said, not every student, every high school student wants to go to college. But a lot of times they struggle with, if I don't go to college, what am I going to do? I don't want to work flipping burgers for the rest of my life. I want to be able to provide for a family eventually as I get older. And... You know, we're very proud of the fact that not only do we provide a great environment where people can make a career, we offer a full benefits package, which is very unusual in the type of work that we do. And we have all types of mentoring programs in AIS University where we really work with individuals to try to bring them along. And we really encourage people to stay and, and, and pursue a career in manufacturing, and hopefully it's with AIS. Your company, Bruce, really takes its role in the Massachusetts economy very seriously. It's also, as I understand it, or as I know, a, a, a real point of pride. Talk about the idea of mass-made and how important it is 
for AIS um, to promote uh, the fact that number one AIS uh, it, it's, it's a Massachusetts manufacturer with products made in the USA, made in Mass. You're sourcing lots of materials locally. You're doing business with vendors and companies in Massachusetts. And that, that ecosystem is, is really important uh, to, to you as a business leader. I think we all have an obligation to support a local economy. In this case, obviously, the uh, Central Mass and in a, bigger, in a bigger way, the Massachusetts economy. And we try, in all cases to support it by making our purchases, uh, to set up facilities, all types of programs, whether it's the charities that we talked about previously. You know, if we make this economy stronger, we all succeed. Infrastructure improvements happen, education improves at, in the, at the town level, taxes hopefully stay in check, and it's just a good place to be at that point. If we build the brand of Massachusetts, as companies are looking to move and expand and relocate, Massachusetts becomes a place that they want to move to if we have a strong and healthy and thriving economy. Uh, I believe that everybody, for the most part, feels that as long as they're not overpaying, as long as the quality is just as good, and as long as the company that in products that they're looking at, uh, they're easy to do business with and they feel comfortable with the relationship that they've developed. And we preach that every day within every part of our organization, and we hope and we, we are seeing that many companies within the state of Massachusetts are feeling the same way. All right, terrific. Great words, great, great wisdom. We've, uh, we've been talking to Bruce Platzman from AIS. It's October. It's Manufacturing Month, uh, and that's what we're, uh, what we're celebrating here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. For Two Minutes with Tom this week, we're talking about question three, the transgender anti-discrimination ballot question, which will be on all Massachusetts voters' ballots come November. Question three proposes to repeal a law currently in place that protects the rights of transgender individuals and adds gender identity to the list of prohibited grounds for discrimination in areas open to the general public, such as hotels, stores, restaurants, theaters, hospitals, among others. Similarly, the list includes protection against discrimination based on race, color, religion, nation of origin, sex, disability, and ancestry. The law, as it stands, requires any such public place of accommodation that has separate areas for males and females to allow full use and access to the defined area that is consistent with the individual's gender identity. A yes vote will keep the current law in place and prohibits discrimination of transgender individuals based on gender identity in public places. And a no vote repeals the part of the law that protects the right of transgender individuals, allowing for open discrimination. Hi, Cayenne. Hi, Tom. Welcome back to Two Minutes with Tom. It's great to be with you. Good to have you. Thank you. Uh, we are discussing an important issue today. Elections are coming up in a few weeks, four weeks. Uh, and one of the ballot questions is question three, which is about transgender anti-discrimination. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a very important question. I'm, I'm sorry it's on the ballot. It's uh, been put on by hate groups, frankly, who want to wipe out the 2016 legislation that, that banned discrimination against not only transgender, but people depending on color, race, nation of origin, um, religion. And, and what we want to do is keep that on the books as best we possibly can. A vote for it would uh, would, uh, would 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 continue the ban, frankly, and make sure that all peoples who 
uh, looking for identity. I have that opportunity to do that and, and do it in a legal sense. A vote against it would, you know, wipe out the 2016 law, which, uh, again, would allow discrimination. So it's a yes vote that's so very important. I agree, and I think, uh, you know, we here at O'Neill Associates feel pretty strongly about that. Uh, I think so far, the state of Massachusetts polling indicates that we are going to keep this in place and continue to be a state that respects and values people's individuality, individuality, and um, and who they are. And and I, I I don't know about you, I feel really proud to be from a state that. I, I hope is going to keep this moving forward, but it has really been a good leader on this issue. More and more, we're realizing the state of Massachusetts, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, leads the the way nationally for leadership. And uh, question three is just another indication. A positive vote for it would be a very strong indication of the continued leadership that the people of the state provide the rest of this country. Thanks, Tom. Okay. Hey, and an afterthought: we're we you are know, one of the founders of the new Chamber of Commerce, you know, looking at uh, lesbian, gay, transgender folks. And uh, we think that that's an important role from a, from a commercial point of view for this company to be part of. Yeah, and we are, pr- and, and again, proud to be from Massachusetts, proud to be part of O'Neill & Associates for that. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Thanks for listening. Now go subscribe. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, our website, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. And don't forget that you can hear more from Mark Hudak of Care Partners and this week's OA on Air Extra, which can be found on our website and SoundCloud. Talk to you next week.